The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. I was reading recently part of a biography on George Mueller, if anybody's familiar with him, a great missionary uh, who worked with orphans and so on. And he was asked basically to define or answer on the topic of how to be constantly happy in the Lord. And he wrote and wrote about how for years and years and years, he struggled with that idea of how to find happiness in the Lord, how, how to sustain that. And then he says this, the point is this, he made this discovery, the point is this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. And as I read that, that was like, it made my mind explode because it, it explains so much because I could so relate to that. So many times we, we try to find our happiness in, in doing things for the Lord and going out and serving the Lord and bringing glory to the Lord. And these are all wonderful things and things we're called to do, obviously, all throughout Scripture. And yet his point was, for years as a missionary who loved and is, is well-known and has done amazing things, he worked hard to try to find that place. And yet he finally came to this point at the end of his life or later in his life where he realized the first and primary thing each day was to find his soul, or as he puts it, to make his soul happy in the Lord by being nourished in his word. And so as you, as you put these three things together, as you think about resolutions, as you think about this idea of being versus doing, which is the title today, or as you think about Mueller's idea of not going out and doing all these things, but just finding that, that time with the Lord, all of these to me were very significant for this reason. So much of our life, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is focused on what we do. So little of our life is focused on simply being. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, vacations are the primary example of this. Everyone works so hard for so long so they can go take a vacation, and then when they get back from their vacation, they're exhausted because they spent their whole vacation working and doing and being busy, doing wonderful stuff, but they didn't just stop. And this morning, what I want to challenge us to do is to consider what it means to stop, to consider what it means to slow down and to reflect and to find what Mueller called being happy in the Lord. So if you're an outline person this morning, I have three simple points for you. Um, I'm very opposite of Bill in my preaching. Bill, I, I always tease him, I always tell Bill, I, I wait one day to hear point three um, of his sermons, uh, and, and he laughs with me, but I, mine are very simple, and here, here are the three things that we're going to consider today. First one is doing versus being. The second is the danger of doing. And the third one is the delight in being. So as we begin, going back to the passage, verses 38 and 39, doing versus being. 38, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now let me put a little context on this. 
just in, inside of Luke and inside the, the gospel story as a whole. Inside of Luke, what's going on, if you read the preceding verses, uh, before even this passage, you have the story of the Good Samaritan. Preceding that, you have the story of Jesus sending out his disciples. And now you get to this moment where Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and they come to this city, or this little town, not a city at all, um, and it was called Bethany. Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem, and they stopped there. And Bethany was the home of these siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Everyone in here is familiar with the story of Lazarus. I'm sure Jesus raises him from the dead. This is coming later. But what we see here is you have these three, and Jesus comes into their household, and he's greeted by Martha. Now, verse 39 goes on to say, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, and Martha was distracted with much serving. We'll stop there for a moment. Now, let's, let's contrast the two sisters, and we, we have such little information, but we have an amazing picture of a contrast. What you have is two ladies who took very different approaches to Jesus as he came into their home. The first one, as we look at Martha, was Martha takes on basically what would have been the expected role of the woman in that culture. Martha went out and greeted Jesus. Martha went and began to prepare the meal. And by the way, just, and there's a little speculation here, we don't know the exact number, but assuming if Jesus was there, if his disciples were with him, if Mary, Martha, Lazarus, anybody from the town was there, when, she, when we're talking preparations, we're talking a significant deal of preparation. She's preparing for probably 15 to 20 people at least in the house. Now, if any of you over the holidays prepared for 15 or 20 people, you probably felt that sense of, that's overwhelming. That's a lot to do. And so for Martha, she took on the role of, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to bring all these things together. Now, before we go to the downside of what she missed, let's look at the positive of what she did. Martha used, as, as often as you know, these three words, her time, her talents, and her treasure to serve Jesus. In her mind, she was doing exactly what would have been expected and what was the right thing. She gave up her time to prepare for that many people would not have been a short, small task. That would have been a large ordeal. She gave up her talents. She prepared the food. She cleaned the house. She greeted him. She welcomed him. She tried to make the place the friendliest atmosphere she could. And then ultimately, the third one, she gave up her treasure. Now, we don't know if she paid for the meal, if the disciples brought a money bag. We don't know how all that came out. But she opened up her home and there was food provided. Now, we literally could stop there today, and I could ask you these next three questions, and we could pray and go home and ponder this for the next week and not fully come to a resolution. But let me ask you these three things. How are you doing on giving of your time, your talent, and your treasures for the kingdom? Now, ask this. How are you managing your time? Anyone in here busy? Show of hands, a couple of you. Me and Robert, just us. All right, but yes, there's others. Everyone's busy. We're Americans. We pride ourselves on being busy. I don't know why we do. We, we get very busy. But the question is, is your busyness useful? Are you busy for a purpose or are you busy for being busy? How are you doing with managing your time for the kingdom? You know, second one is you think about not just your time, but your talents. How are you using your talents for the kingdom? In other words, have you even identified the ways that God has gifted you to serve in the kingdom? Have you identified ways in which you can use the very specific things that are unique to you in order to bring glory to God? Or maybe you've identified talents or gifts that you have, but you use them very much for you and for your own gain as opposed to for Christ's glory. That's a tough one to chew on. And then the third one, 
how are you stewarding the resources God has given you? You know, we just gave a minute ago, we passed out the plates down the aisles, we gave our tithes and our offerings, but considering that, and, and we're, as a congregation, I'll say as an elder, we're a very giving congregation. I couldn't be more impressed, but individually ask yourself the question, how do you do giving? How do you do using the resources that God has given you, considering the fact that in a world in which we live, you know, the majority of the world lives on $2 a day. I could go out in everybody's car and probably find $2 on the floor of your car. I know I could in mine and probably a lot of crumbs and other stuff from the kids, but we could find a lot of stuff. But are we using the resources we've been given for the kingdom? And I ask those three questions just simply to highlight this as we go through this passage. I don't want to shed a negative light on Martha in the sense of saying what she did was wrong. What Martha was doing was excellent, but it wasn't the best. Now we contrast that. We look at Mary. Mary sits at the feet listening to the word of life, listening to Christ himself. She stops everything and begins to listen to her king. Now, interestingly, Matthew Henry, as you read different commentaries, um, great commentator, he put it this way, and I love the way he phrases this. She sat to hear, which denotes a close attention, and then here's the phrase. Her mind was composed, and she resolved to abide by it, not to catch a word now and then, but to receive all that Christ delivered. Here's a, here's a question. For those of us in the room who do open the word of God regularly, for those of us in the room who do look at this book and see this book as much more than just mere writings, but as the absolute authoritative word of God which has been given to us from our king, how do we approach this book? Do we approach it, and the way he phrases it, with our mind wandering, thinking about it here and there with all the other distractions? Or do we approach it as if sitting in the very presence of our king and listening? You know, one of my pet peeves in life, um, and this is you know, a personal issue, but probably some of you can relate. One of my pet peeves in life is simply this. I hate being in a conversation with somebody, and they're constantly on their phone texting or doing something while we're talking. I mean, at the point in the middle of the conversation where I could literally say anything and they would just keep nodding and going with it drives me insane. But yet my conviction on that is, how often is that my time with the Lord? How often am I sitting at the feet of Christ with the word open and my mind in 30 other places, not even considering the depth and the height and the breadth of what's in front of me? And so this morning, as we think about these two women, And you think about the busyness of Martha, the attentiveness of Mary. I'll ask this question, which of these two do you most relate to? Think about your life. Think about the last week of your life. Think about the last month. Which one of these two would best describe you and where you're at? Now that's the doing verse being. Now let's look at the dangers of doing. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now now consider for a second, Martha had, she, she was, I love the phrasing, distracted with much serving. She was overwhelmed by the task. She was overwhelmed by the situation. And she goes to Christ and her, her charge is not solely against Mary. She's imploring Jesus 
Lord, talk to her. Get her over here helping me. She's just sitting there looking at you, and I'm so busy and so many things. Get her to be involved. And so three dangers of doing. Number one, Martha lost sight of why she was serving in the first place. Anybody ever find yourself in that position where you get so busy with the details, so busy with the event, so busy with relationships, so busy with work, so busy with family, that you lose sight of why you're doing it in the first place? It becomes working through things as opposed to embracing the moment. It becomes the overwhelming nature of it versus the joy of doing it. You know, one one commentator put it this way. It's easy to lose the joy of the event in the details of the preparation. You know, for Christmas, anybody in here lose the joy of being with your family by being so overwhelmed by the details of what you were doing? You know, maybe it's bigger than Christmas. Think back to work. Anybody in here going to work tomorrow? And if you really ask yourself this question, have you lost sight of why you even go to that place outside of getting a paycheck? Is it about the kingdom, or is it about just going through the motions? You know, family, anybody ever get to the point where you get so busy with sporting events, with this situation, with this relational issue, with all the family dynamics that go on, that we miss why we even have family, that we miss the joy of being together because we're overwhelmed with the stuff going on inside of it? And so this morning, one of the dangers we need to be careful of is to not lose sight of why we're serving in the first place. We're called to serve. We're called to do exactly what Martha was doing. We're called to bring the kingdom to the world by God's grace for God's glory. But we're called to do it with very intentional focus on our king, not just on doing. Now, the second danger is her busyness was inspired by the best intentions to do good. You know, one one person put it this way, and I think this is great. Martha lost the great because she settled for the good. Anybody in life ever fit that description? There are a lot of really good things to be doing. There are a lot of really wonderful things you can be involved in. We're all busy, absolutely. There are a lot of things you can fill your time with. But there's a big difference between doing good things and doing great things. I wrestled with this. I still wrestle with this all the time. I was meeting um, when I was in college with a missionary a guy named Tom Campbell, he and his wife, they later in life, they're in their 40s and 50s, they decided they wanted to go to the mission field. And for the last five years, six, maybe 10 years, it's been a while, they've been over in one of the stands of former Russia um, doing amazing ministry, loving people. And I remember sitting down with this guy and just asking him this because he would talk to me about this regularly. He would say, are you doing good or are you doing great? Are you settling for the good or are you embracing the great? And my question was always simply this, how do I know the difference? For Martha, it looked good. It looked like the great, but she missed the great. How do we know the difference? And, and he put it this way, and I'm not saying this is you know, the, the only avenue of understanding this, but I thought it was really helpful. He said, ask the question, what is the most life-giving thing to you that brings glory to God? That is great for you. Now think about that. There's so much depth packed into that phrase. What is the most life-giving thing that brings glory to the kingdom. That is great for you. You could be doing a lot of wonderful things. If you are not an administrative person, details are not your thing, and you're serving in this church in some kind of administrative capacity, keeping track of details, you're serving good. You're doing well. 
but it's not going to be great for you because you're not going to be finding life in what you're doing. For some of you in this room, if I asked you to come up front right now and teach the congregation, that would be one of the most petrifying things of all time. It would scare you to death. But for some of you in this room, if I asked you, that would be the most life-giving thing for you because that's where you're gifted. And so his point was, you have to examine where has God gifted you and how can you use those gifts? And that's not just inside the church, by the way. That's inside your business world. That's inside your relationships. That's inside your family. That's inside all avenues of life. Where can we use our gifts to do what's great, what brings life to us, not just what's good in the moment? And this brings us to the third thing, the third danger of doing, and it's simply this. She became prideful in her doing good. And and I say she became prideful. You could argue back and forth. Calvin wrote on this, John Calvin, a good bit, and he said this. There was this additional evil that Martha was so delighted with her own bustling operations as to despise her sister's pious eagerness to receive instruction. This example warns us that in doing what is right, we must take care, take care not to think more highly of ourselves than of others. Anybody in this room, don't raise your hands on this one, ever become a little prideful in your serving? Ever become a little prideful in your success? Ever become a little prideful in your situation? Anybody in this room on the other side maybe ever look at other people and say, why aren't they doing more? What's wrong with them? They should be doing what I'm doing. If everybody did what I was doing, we'd be doing great. You know, anybody in this room ever make those comparisons? My guess is we all do it all the time. And the danger there is it takes our eyes off of Christ. Inside the gospel, there's no room for pride. You know where there's room for pride? In works-based religions. In a religion where you have to work really hard and do really good to succeed and run favor with your God, there is room for pride. In a religion where it is all about God's grace and we do nothing to earn or merit or deserve that grace, there's no room for pride. There's simply an adoration of our king and a response that we need to be doing, not a response that we need to be judging in others. And so as we think about doing, the dangers are very clear. Consider losing sight. Consider the busyness of good versus great, the danger of pride. And then we move to the third point, and it's simply this, the delight in being. Let me read verses 41, 42. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What does Jesus do here? As Martha approaches Jesus, Lord, fix this situation. I don't understand. She's sitting. I'm overwhelmed. There's too many details. What do I do? Jesus, and just by the way, picture, picture for a moment being Martha and, and hearing Jesus' response probably couldn't be more polar opposite than what she expected to hear. She was probably expecting, you're doing a great job. I appreciate that, Mary. Why don't you go help your sister? She doesn't get that at all. Martha, Martha. And you can almost hear the sympathy in his voice of Martha. Don't miss this. Martha, don't lose sight of this. And he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But only one thing is necessary. He puts everything into what I'll use the word perspective. 
And here's the, the beauty of the cross, and here's the beauty of turning our eyes on Christ. When we put our eyes on Christ, you know what it does with the rest of, a lo- of our lives? When we begin our days finding our delight in Christ, you know what it does with every circumstance and every situation that pops up that day? It puts it into perspective. When we lose perspective and we start seeing things as we see them versus how Christ sees them, everything can spin out of control really quickly. Everything can get overwhelming really quickly. But when we turn our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and we set our hope in our king, suddenly perspective's given to everything. And he turns and he focuses on Mary and says, she has chosen the one thing that is of utmost importance, sitting at the Lord's feet, and here's the phrase, ultimately taking delight in Christ. That's what Mary chose. Now think of, I was thinking back to Psalm 1 verse 2, David's words, and he says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On it he meditates day and night. So here's the question, and this is really the heart of this whole sermon and this whole passage. Do you find delight in Christ? And hear what I'm asking. Not, do you find delight in serving Christ? I know people that find great delight because of the joy it brings them to serve, and that's wonderful and not wrong. But if my delight and my joy comes from what I get out of doing and not simply out of being with my king, there's an issue there. Do you find absolute delight above all other things in Christ? And that's a tough question, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. The other little side note, and I want to bring this in, is he addresses this idea of worrying, of being anxious. And he, and he quotes, um, or he doesn't quote, but I'll quote uh, another passage where he says this, Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And yet we worry all the time. I'll bet if we went around the room and we could probe everyone's mind, right now there are a lot of people in this room that are very anxious about something, that are very worried and concerned about something going on in life. And my question is, how are you dealing with that worry? You know, as I was thinking about it for myself, ever try to stop worrying? Just try to stop, I'm going to quit worrying. How's that turn out? Anybody ever have that work out well? Because that's the whole point of this is you don't quit worrying by saying, I'm going to quit worrying. You don't try harder and it stops. It just becomes more overwhelming because you're trying to block it out. And then when it pops up, it's this big explosion in your mind. So here's the question. So then how do we overcome worrying? Here's the whole point. We don't overcome worrying. Christ has overcome worrying. In other words, what we do is not try harder, but we begin to see clearer. And how do we see clearer? We take our eyes off of the present situation, and we turn our eyes back to the one thing that we should be finding delight in, and that is our king. And when we find delight in our king, guess what happens to those worries? They're still there. They don't go away. There's no promise in Christianity. Boom, everything's wonderful. But there is this promise. You have a king that's in control of that whole situation already. And if you can focus and live for that king, if you can sit at the feet of that king, suddenly that situation, you realize, isn't yours to control. It's a king who already has control of that situation. And so as we think about the delight of being, that delight only comes from a relationship with Christ. Mary's delight was simply being in Christ's presence. 
It wasn't about achievements. It wasn't about status quo. It wasn't about meeting expectations of others. It wasn't about doing anything. Her delight was simply found in being in the presence of her king. So this morning, as we kind of bring this to a head, and we think about, okay, so what do we take away? Let's go back to the beginning. New Year's resolutions. A lot of us are going to try really hard this year to lose. I told Neely the other day, I'll tell you all, this is an embarrassing story, but I'll tell you really quick. I literally this morning put on a belt and it broke. And I was like, this was quite a holiday. Um, and, and then I got on the scale and I was like, I weigh more now than I have in 34 years, which is my entire life. Um, so what am I going to try harder at this year? I'm going to try to lose weight. Yeah, good for me. But you know what will probably happen? I'll eat and I'll enjoy everything and I'll look at next year and I'll try again. But this morning, I want us to move past trying harder in our relationship with God. I want to move past as a church trying to do more. And I want to challenge us as a body. Maybe it's not about doing more. Maybe it's about being more. And when I say being more, I simply mean being more in the presence of Christ. Maybe it's about this year blocking out all of those other things. Maybe it's about this year simply stopping and saying, what is it to be in the presence of Christ each day? What is it for me to find delight in the presence of Christ each day as opposed to me trying to earn something? That works-based mentality so easily slips in and so often slips in unintentionally. We don't mean to do it, but everything in our culture is based on works and doing And it's so easy for it to become about us trying and working as opposed to us stopping and ceasing and just being. Psalm 46, where it talks about, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. In other words, that's the reality. The question this year isn't, is that the reality? The question this year is, are you going to step back and see the reality as our king sees the reality, or are you going to bustle through the year in our busyness and miss the reality of what already exists and try to control something that was never meant to be ours to control? So this morning, as I leave you, I'll close with this thought. God wants us to find our supreme delight in being in his presence alone. And and the illustration for this hit me really clearly the other day. Um, I had the opportunity the last couple of days to go down to Miami for the Orange Bowl, and it was fabulous. If you're a Clemson fan, it was wonderful. Half of you are Ohio State fans, so it was disappointing, but it was one of those games. And, and when I left, my youngest son, Wes, was literally walking, standing at the edge of the driveway, tears flowing down his face as we're driving off. And I looked back, and, and as I saw him, you know, half of me just kind of smiles, and the other half is like, oh, that's so heartbreaking. And, and the thing with Wes was this. It had nothing to do with the Orange Bowl. Wes doesn't understand what the Orange Bowl is. It had nothing to do with football. He really doesn't care that much about football. It had to do with this. He was going to be away from the presence of his daddy for the next three days. And it broke his heart. And my question for us today is, do we have that same understanding of our Father in heaven Does it break your heart when you miss being with our Father because of the distractions of doing around us? 
do you weep? Neely, this is somewhat evil. She put a picture on Facebook of Wes, said, my daddy went to the Orange Bowl without me. And it's just him there weeping, all right? And just a sad face. And she sent it to me five minutes down the road. And I was like, you're awesome. Thank you. Uh, But to us today, as we walk out of here, let's consider the beauty of just being with our king this year. Let's balance this and not say, you know, what Martha was doing was wrong. We need to be active. We need to be serving. We need to be out. We need to be involved in everything we're doing. Absolutely. But if we don't set our pleasure first on our king before we begin our doing, our doing will be in vain. But when we begin to set our pleasure and our greatest delight on being with our king, then suddenly all of our doing has incredible purpose incredible value, and becomes about the glory of our King. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us in such a way that you give us this picture of us being your children and you being our Father. And God, we pray that as young children with their parents on this earth, we would have that same yearning for your presence to see you, to be with you, and through that time and through that relationship, to be able to understand all that goes on around us. Give us grace. Help us not to work harder, Lord. Help us simply to cease and to be more in your presence this year. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.